Well, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 23, all the way into chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to read this passage for us now. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God? In the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was, not, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Well, we're concluding the section of Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders in Galilee, basically from chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It began in chapter 2 with Jesus healing the paralytic and, and forgiving the man his sins. And of course, they were appalled, the Pharisees specifically, that Jesus would forgive this man his sins. Because as we know, only God has the authority to forgive a man his sins. They knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. And then, of course, they, they see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, and, and that offends them as well. And then you have this altercation over fasting, which we looked at last week. And now we come to the final two conflicts. There are two separate conflicts, but they revolve around the same topic, the Sabbath. And it's in these two conflicts where where things really come to a boil, where we really see the evil intentions of the Pharisees. And so the first thing that I want us to see in this passage is what I would call the stench of legalism. The stench of legalism. We're told in verse 23 that on the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were going through grain fields, and the disciples began plucking the heads of grain and eating it which was actually permissible according to Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. But the Pharisees object to what they're doing 
because they were specifically doing it on the Sabbath. And so they go to Jesus with this question in verse 24. As they say in verse 24, And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, in this question, they're looking for a way to trap Jesus. They want to be able to accuse him of being a Sabbath breaker. But what we also see here with their question to Jesus is their utter devotion to their tradition rather than the well-being of people. We're not told the state of the disciples at this point, but most likely they had been journeying along for quite a while. They would have been probably hungry, and so they began to do what was permissible according to Deuteronomic law. But the Pharisees, in their zeal to uphold the, the commands of God, they, of course, added more commands on top of God's already established commands to define and make clear what was permissible on the Sabbath and what was not permissible, what was considered work. In other words, they established rules on top of what God had already commanded. They were being legalistic in their thinking. They treated their own rules on the same playing field as God's commands. You see, the religious leaders saw the breaking of the Sabbath as the ultimate breach of covenant disloyalty, which means they would do everything that was necessary to protect the Sabbath. And so in their devotion to their traditions, the disciples plucking heads of grain without Jesus' rebuke was a threat to their traditions, a threat to their authority. See, instead of observing that the disciples needed to refresh themselves, they took offense at the disciples' actions because they were more committed to their tradition their legalism than they were to the welfare of others, which is precisely what we will see in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3. So what does Jesus do? How does he respond? Well, he uses scripture to show them how wrong their thinking is in regards to the Sabbath. He undermines them by the word of God, which they claim to know. And so look at how Jesus responds in verse 25. He reminds them of a story in the Old Testament regarding David before he officially was crowned king. So look at verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? Now you've you got to understand how offensive that statement would have been for Jesus to say. These men thought they were experts in God's written revelation. So he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So, so here's the context. David and his men are on the run and are in hiding from King Saul 
who's seeking to kill David. So they need food. And so he goes to the priest, but, but the only bread that is available is the bread of presence. The bread that resided in the presence of God, which was meant to represent Israel before God. And according to Levitical law, it, it wouldn't be lawful for anyone to eat the bread except for the priest, which Jesus, of course, makes clear. Yet the priest gave it to David, and David shared it with his men. What's Jesus' point with this story? Well, I think this is what Jesus is saying. If there was an exception made for David and his men under dire circumstances, then why can't there be an exception for my disciples, since I am Lord of the Sabbath and greater than David? In other words, he's comparing his and his disciples' circumstances to that of David and his men. If God made an exception for David and his men, he can make an exception for my disciples. You see, you Pharisees, you're so enslaved to your rules and traditions that when there's a human need to be met, you believe holding to your rules and traditions is more important than caring and meeting that human need. You see, we have to remember, Jesus knows what's in the heart of these religious leaders. He knows their religious hypocrisy. They keep and observe all of these laws that they've established to look holy and pious, but they have no love for God nor neighbor. See, obeying the Sabbath command with no reference for love for God or love for neighbor is not obedience to God. Remember, how does Jesus sum up the whole entire law of God? Well, to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, these Pharisees were dedicated to observing the rituals and commands, but they were negligent of the weightier things of the law. You remember Jesus' words, Jesus' woes against the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23? In verse 23 of Matthew 23, Jesus declares this to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, Jesus has this understanding that there are weightier matters to the law. There are things that God values more than other things. And friends, this isn't something new that Jesus is bringing to the table. God spoke this way throughout the Old Testament, for example, in Hosea 6.6, 6, God says this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, over and over again, God tells Israel he rejects their sacrifices, 
because they were sacrificing out of mere religious duty and ritual, but not out of love for God. And even today, even as Christians, we can fall prey to this way of thinking. We can have our checklist of duties as a Christian, and we check off the lists without ever wrestling with Does my heart long for God? Do I love Him? Do I desire Him? Do I desire to to love and seek the good of my fellow man? You see, the reality is this. There is a Pharisee that dwells in the heart of every man and woman. This is the stench of legalism. So, Jesus justifies his disciples' actions by reminding them of the story of David and his men. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to give a proper interpretation of the Sabbath. He tells us the true purpose of the Sabbath. See, after he reminds them of the story with with David, he then in verse 27 states, look at verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's Jesus saying about the Sabbath? Well, he's he's giving an explanation of really what the Sabbath is all about. What's its real purpose? You see, you Pharisees have, have used the Sabbath to oppress. You've made the Sabbath a weapon for oppression. But the Sabbath was meant to be a joy and a blessing to humanity. The Sabbath was to serve humanity, not the other way around. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. The Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest, a day of joy, a day consecrated holy in worship to the Lord God Almighty. But you... You Pharisees, you've turned it into a checklist of what you can and cannot do with no regards to rest and joy and worship. In other words, you've made humanity a slave to the Sabbath when in actuality the Sabbath was a reminder to Israel that God had delivered them from slavery. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 where God where the the Ten Commandments are are retold to the people of Israel before they enter into the Promised Land. The Sabbath command is tied to the Exodus when God delivered them out of slavery slavery in Egypt. So listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. 
You see the connection between the Sabbath and, and slavery in Egypt? God's telling them that the Sabbath is meant to be a reminder to them of their former slavery in Egypt, which God delivered them from. When you were in Egypt, you didn't have a day of rest because you were slaves. They worked you to the bone. They gave you no rest for your bodies and for your souls. And so in God giving them the Sabbath, God was reminding Israel that you are no longer slaves, but my beloved children whom I delivered out of slavery. But the Pharisees, they turned the Sabbath into slavery. See, when Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, he was saying that there's an order to things. The Sabbath isn't greater than man. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of man. But the Pharisees placed the Sabbath above man, and therefore man was made for the Sabbath. But Jesus corrects their thinking to demonstrate that humanity, God's image bearers, are more significant than the Sabbath. The Sabbath gets its value from being a means to bless humanity. See, God knew in how he created us that we would need a day dedicated to rest, to joy, and to the worship of him. See, God does have a system of values, so to speak. There's a reason why God delights in a contrite and broken heart over mere sacrifice of animals. It's not that God is against the sacrifices, but he's against the sacrifices for the sake of sacrifices, just as he's against Sabbath observance just for the sake of Sabbath observance. Now, if the Sabbath is made for the benefit of man, that begs the question, should we be keeping the Sabbath? Does the Sabbath still apply to us as Christians, new covenant followers of Jesus? Well, I'm going to disappoint you this morning because I'm not going to answer the question. Because that's really not the focus of the text. That's not what Jesus is trying to speak about. But here's what I will say. There's a principle, a theme in the scriptures regarding rest, which finds its culmination in the new creation, where we will enter into God's eternal rest. See, we as humans are finite, mortal creatures, and God made us with the need for rest. You see, Israel, when, when they were enslaved, they worked seven days a week. But when God delivered them, he gave them the Sabbath to remind them of their need for rest and their need for consecrated worship to the Lord. And though we're not slaves like Israel to another nation, is it possible that we've made ourselves slaves to the busyness of North American culture? We feel this need to always be working, always doing, always scrolling, always making more money, but never actually truly resting. 
We feel this need to continue to work and to present ourselves as something that we're not. We work for people's acceptance. We're always trying to prove our existence and our worth. But the beautiful thing about Jesus and his gospel is that he does all the work on our behalf so that we can find rest for our weary souls in him. As Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, which I think are some of the most beautiful words ever to be said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, maybe Jesus' words, the Sabbath was made for man, reminds us of our need to truly rest. But we'll never truly rest until we find our rest in him. As Augustine once declared, our hearts are restless until it finds, it finds its rest in you, O God. And just maybe, just maybe this pandemic is reminding us of our need for rest. That getting a little bit of extra money or status isn't all that important when you realize something as small as a virus can destroy any false security we thought. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus wasn't undermining the Sabbath, but rather he was rightly defining the meaning and purpose of the Sabbath. The Pharisees, they had distorted the Sabbath. Now, the reason Jesus is truly able to give the proper explanation for the Sabbath is because of who he is. As he then says in verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now remember, Jesus made a similar claim in regards to his authority to forgive sins. As he said in, in chapter 2, verse 10, but that you may know, he's speaking to the religious leaders, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And of course, this term, Son of Man, is, is in reference to this divine human figure in Daniel who will accomplish God's purposes. He is this messianic divine king, divine human king. He seems to be both divine and human, and, and Jesus takes on this title for himself, declaring that he is the Son of Man prophesied of in the Old Testament. So when Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sins, we know that he was claiming to be God, for only God carries such an authority. And now Jesus claims to be the Son of Man who is Lord of the Sabbath. And the question is, who established the Sabbath? God did. In other words, God is Lord of the Sabbath. He established it. He defines it. And, and here Jesus claims that role for himself. In other words, 
The Pharisees think they can tell Jesus what the Sabbath is about, not realizing they're speaking to the very one who created and established the Sabbath. Jesus has the divine authority to give the final word on the meaning of the Sabbath. God is in their presence, in the person of Jesus, telling them what the Sabbath is about, but their hearts are too hardened to receive it. As we see what happens next in chapters 3, verses 1 through 6. Look at this. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So Jesus again enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now we don't know whether this was the same Sabbath as the early encounter that we just looked at, or whether this was another week. But he enters the synagogue, and according to verse 2, the Pharisees are watching, because they want to see whether or not Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath. And if he does, they have an opportunity to accuse him for doing work on the Sabbath. But this doesn't stop Jesus. In fact, he turns the whole situation on them. He reveals just how callous their hearts have become. In verse 3, Jesus calls a man with a withered hand to come here. All attention is on Jesus and this man with a withered hand. You can imagine the tension and anticipation in the room. What is Jesus going to do? But before Jesus acts, he lays before the religious leaders a question. Now I want you to see how the tables have turned. Throughout chapter 2, they bring their questions to Jesus to trap and accuse him. But here... The conflict ends with Jesus asking them a question. For he says in verse 4, And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than harm? To save life rather than to kill? And of course... We know that the answer is yes, it's lawful. But these religious leaders' hearts were so devoted to their own interpretation, and they became so hardened that they would rather see this man remain with a withered hand than to see the Sabbath supposedly broken. You see, Jesus' question is in one sense a declaration of judgment, or at least a warning. His question demands a response from the Pharisees. 
And his question is extremely similar to the declaration that Moses gives to Israel in Deuteronomy 30.15, just before Israel enters into the Promised Land. This is what is said to Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Good and harm? Life or death? Similar? If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You see, this, this question that Jesus gives to the Pharisees is an ultimatum. Will you choose life or death? Will you choose goodness or harm? And their response to Jesus reveals they have chosen death rather than life. They are no different than Israel before they entered the promised land. As William Lane states, in their concern for legal detail, they had forgotten the very mercy and grace shown by God to man when he made provision for the Sabbath. In the name of piety, they had become insensitive both to the purposes of God and to the sufferings of men. They have chosen harm rather than good. As we see in verse 4, when Jesus asked the question, we're told they were silent. And this silence wasn't due to a lack of knowledge. This silence was defiance, as verse 5 reveals. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Their silence revealed the hardness of their hearts. And when Jesus saw it, we're told he was angry and grieved. He had righteous indignation toward their defiant, stubborn, sinful hearts. But he was also grieved to see how hard their hearts were. They were choosing death rather than life, and it grieved him. And in that moment, we're told, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Sabbath wouldn't prevent Jesus from doing good. In fact, the Sabbath was meant for good. 
Jesus understood that, and that's why he showed this man compassion and healed him on the Sabbath. But notice how the Pharisees respond to this miracle that Jesus has done. Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now this is ironic. The Herodians were were Israelites who were loyal to the Herodian kingship, to King Herod. And the irony is the Pharisees hated Herod's kingship over Israel. They didn't see it as legitimate because they were right. He was not of the lineage of David. Yet in their hatred for Christ and the threat that he was to their religious authority, they decided to team up with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. In other words, your enemy is my enemy. And of course, this is all a foretaste of all that will happen as we continue to go through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus will be arrested, he will be flogged, and he will be crucified. They will think that they've destroyed him, not realizing that his death will actually be an act of victory over sin and death. But here's what I want you to see in their response. I marvel at the hardness of the human heart. These religious leaders have beheld a miracle. They don't deny it. They don't deny that Jesus actually healed this man. And you would think that in beholding a miracle, they would respond in celebration and praise, and they would give their allegiance to Jesus. But they don't. Instead, their response is thinking about a way to kill the miracle worker. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with people who have said to me, I'll believe in Jesus if he does a miracle for me. And my response to them is simply, no, you won't. This isn't about a lack of evidence. This is about what you love and what you hate. This is about the hardness of your heart. They knew Jesus did a miracle and they hated him all the more. You see, the question that's placed before us is not, do you have enough evidence? The question is, Will you respond rightly to Jesus' interference? Or, how will you respond to his question, will we choose life or death? He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he comes to give rest to weary souls. He comes to restore the sinner, but the question is, will you acknowledge him as the one he claims to be? Or will you defy him and conspire against him like the Pharisees? Will you be the man with the withered hand, willing to stretch out your hand in response to Jesus' compassion? Or will you silently defy the Lord of the Sabbath and refuse to find rest for your souls? I pray that you would respond and you would find rest for your weary souls. For only Jesus Christ can truly give you that. Let's pray. Father, by your Spirit, 
accomplish your purposes. You have told us that your word does not return void. We believe that. Save, Lord, strengthen our faith, and save those who do not know you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.